we're going to look over the next couple of weeks about the way that God moves in the kingdom of heaven to make people transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew? And I know that your Bible wants to turn to Ephesians, but we're going to be in Matthew today. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament. But I thought it would be important today for us to look at one of the most fascinating things that Jesus ever said to his disciples. Matthew chapter 18. It will be our text today. And I think it's particularly appropriate coming on the heels of Vacation Bible School when we saw so many children really respond to the gospel. And if you think about Jesus's words here, he's really going to blow the disciples' minds as he tells them that the things maybe they thought were important aren't as important as they are and what they may have overlooked might be more important than they could ever imagine. So Matthew chapter 18, and we'll read the first five verses this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen behind me. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. If I asked you this morning, if you could articulate a biblical worldview for your life, do you think that you could? Do you believe that you could accurately articulate what a biblical worldview is as you look at questions, as you look at things that are happening in our society today? Do you think that you could verbally give me what a biblical worldview over whatever issue we brought up would be? The reason that I ask that question is because a study done this year by the Barna Research Group indicates that 62% of parents who have children in the home claim to be Christian. That's an, an, an impressive number. I don't know what it was like on your street this morning, but when I left for church, 62% of the street didn't follow me. I don't know. 62%, but here's something startling. Only 2% of those households have a biblical worldview. So I claim to be a Christian but I can't articulate what a biblical worldview is and I can't articulate that to my children or my grandchildren. And so there's a disconnect. And you know, I'm not a mathematician, but 62% and 2%, it doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't work. It doesn't correlate for us. So Matthew 18 kind of gives us a little bit of an indication of what it's like when you're living with a worldview that isn't biblical and yet you're trying to follow Jesus. Because I think that's exactly where the disciples were. In fact, they were close to Jesus, weren't they? I mean, three and a half years that they spent with Jesus, they certainly knew who he was. They certainly had listened to him teach. They certainly had, had left something behind because they thought it was important to follow Jesus. And yet proximity to Jesus still hadn't solved this disconnect that they had. And what was the disconnect? Well, we see it in context from some of the other gospels. And I'm just gonna read this for you from Matthew, I mean, from Mark chapter nine. You don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. 
But I do want you to see this because Mark chapter nine gives us a little bit of context. If you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are called the synoptic gospels. The reason that they're called that is because they overlap in parallel in so many of the stories that they tell where John kind of stands alone and takes a different viewpoint of what he's writing, even though some of the miracles and some of the teachings that Jesus uh, spoke in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that they recorded, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are recorded in John as well. So in, in Mark chapter nine, in verse 33, we see what was going on here. And it, it, it's funny, uh, Jesus had just predicted for the second time that he's going to be crucified for the sins of the world in Mark chapter nine and verse 30. But in verse 33, it says, they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? So they're traveling and he says, guys, uh, what was the bickering about? Have you ever done that? You ever come home and said, hey, what are y'all yakking about over here in this other room? I can hear the bickering. What's going on? That's what Jesus is doing. They're caught, right? They're found out. What, what is going on? But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing about with one another who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. And he took a child and had him stand among them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child, such as this in my name, welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not, or whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So when Jesus is talking to them, they're obviously living with a little bit of spiritual disconnect, right? So in Matthew 18, we see this fleshed out a little bit differently. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus says to them, Guys, this is serious. I'm about to give my life for you. And you know, they must have kind of taken in the gravity of that moment. But then as they start traveling, that gravity didn't last long because they immediately turn and start looking about one another and saying, you know, who do you think's most important? Who do you think's the greatest? Who do you think will be remembered for all times. Now they might've been doing this because it hadn't been too long ago that Peter had been singled out for a specific ministry task by Jesus. He's rising to the front. James and John with Peter have been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They've seen things the other guys haven't seen. And, and so it might be that, that they're here, but in Mark chapter nine, we see that they still don't get it. In fact, they're caught. Later in Matthew chapter 20, they still don't get it. Because James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, would you grant me this one request, please? Just let my little boys sit on your right and your left hand in your kingdom. Please elevate them. Think highly of my children. I, my, my children are special. They don't get it. Jesus is always filled with paradox, isn't he? He tells them that the first will be last. If you've been part of Vacation Bible School, you know that there's one job every 30 minutes that gets clamored for. I want to hold the sign and be the line leader, right? That's how it works. Every 30 minutes, you know? Uh, every 30 minutes, a kid would come up to me and say, Pastor Jeff, can I hold the sign? And I'd say, you gotta ask Miss Natalie, she's in charge. Go ask Miss Natalie, right? 
We all wanna be first. We all wanna be at the head of the line. We all want to be there. We're dying to be first. We're dying for people to notice us. We're dying to make sure that we don't miss out. I mean, think about it. It doesn't just stop with children wanting to be the line leader. Have you ever been to an airport? Everyone has a ticket. Even if you're not flying Southwest and you have assigned seats. Have you ever noticed what happens? We're calling group one and everybody runs to up there and has to get in the front. Why? Is it they're afraid somebody's gonna sit in their seat? No, they want that overhead bin space, right? I gotta I got have it. I, I wanna be able to get my stuff right. It's first, first, first. I'm important, me, me, me. And they're dealing with the same things. Jesus telling them that the first will be last and the last will be first must have sounded crazy to them. It, it must have sounded uh, just foreign to them. And maybe for us, it would be the same way. You know, maybe we, we should ask a different question. You know, we follow people on social media and, and oftentimes we wanna follow the people with the most followers and maybe we should be following the people with the least amount of followers, right? If we're gonna take this paradox and, and kind of make it something, maybe those are the people we should be looking to. Because Jesus says that there's something wrong in our lives when we have to be important, when we have to be first, when we have to be front and center about everything. And so what does he do? He calls everybody together and he takes a child. And he tells them in verse three of Matthew 18, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's an object lesson going on here, right? He brings up a little child and sets it in front of them. And we don't know if it's a boy or a girl, whatever, just as a little child and says, unless you turn, unless you turn, uh, there, there's a biblical scholar who says that this idea of turning means that the disciples were doing what we so often do is that they were headed in the wrong direction. That's actually a great definition of repentance, isn't it? Because repentance means that I'm walking in one direction, but I turn away from that and follow Jesus. And Jesus is telling his own disciples who have been following him that they are headed in the wrong direction. How could that be? How could it be that after all of these years, walking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, that they still don't get it? Well, they were worried about ambition and status, and Jesus is worried about humility. They're opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? You, you can't really pursue both, can you? It, it just doesn't work that way. If you think about it, you, you can't have both at the same time. If you're chasing ambition, you're not chasing humility, and Jesus says that if you wanna follow me, you're going to have to be humble, and it's going to be a turn, a change of direction for you to be like this. One of the things that I am more convinced of than ever is that Christian celebrity just doesn't do very well. We don't handle it very well. Why? Why is it? It's because we in the church love to take people we can latch on to, right? Whether it's a sports figure or, or whether it's a, a preacher who's gifted with eloquence and we love to push them to the forefront and we love to follow everything they say and, and, and follow after them and we lose sight of the fact that they're just like us. Christian celebrity, it's kind of an oxymoron. Is it? It, it doesn't work very well because we're supposed to be choosing humility 
And Jesus says that the mark of a true believer is found in humility. Well, think about what the disciples had in front of them. What they saw in front of them all the time were religious leaders called Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees. They were elevated leaders. These were not people who were, who were ignorant. They were smart people. They were intelligent. They were readers of the law. They were interpreters of the law. They were looked upon very highly favorably by people. And yet, Jesus is constantly chastising them and saying that they're not humble. Do you remember when Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who both came to pray and the Pharisee stands up and prays, oh, thank you, God, I am not like a tax collector. Thank you, God, I am not like the heathen. You remember what Jesus said? The tax collector came and beat his chest before the Lord and just said, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus used it to point out what it was like to really pursue a passionate relationship with the Lord. It starts in humility. And so he uses this because I think it's important that we see it takes an incredible amount of humility for a person to repent and believe that Jesus is the son of God. Why? Because you have to dispense with all that you believe and take what God has revealed to us from the word and start to live it out. This is why most of us don't have Christian worldviews because we look at the Bible as an option. We look at the Bible as an alternative for us. We look at the Bible as something we might read and follow. We don't see it as something that God has revealed to us, the spoken word of God, the breath of God given to us from heaven and that our lives are to be submitted to it. So is it any wonder then that we don't have a Christian worldview? We take our cues from the world. What starts to happen here though, is for us to follow Christ, we have to first be humble. Do you remember in the 90s, maybe if you were around in that era and, and singing those songs, we used to sing this song and, and some of those things like, you know, like I, I told somebody the other day, some of those I'd like to bring back, some that it is just fine that it's gone on, you know? But uh, there, there was one that we used to sing and it kind of sounded like a chant. It, it said, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's been said that the mark of a true believer, if you want to find out if somebody's a true believer is that they're humble. Think about what a child does. Think about what happens here. Oh, what's a child all about? A, a child has a couple of, of things that are interesting about them. They're oblivious to status. Jesus pulls a child up and, and no child walks in the room and is worried about their status. That comes later. That's called middle school, right? <laughs> that comes later. Do you remember that? Do you remember wondering if you were popular? Do you remember asking those kinds of questions? Am I popular? Do people like me? But a child's not worried about that. They just walk in a room and find their place and begin doing whatever it is. They're not worried about status like we are. It doesn't matter to them. They trust. Children just have an inherent way about them of trusting. One of our pastors who used to work here, uh, one of my friends, Pastor Brad Carr, 
I loved it when I would see Pastor Brad coming with his two children because he was always afraid. He has three now, but he was always afraid he that they were going to do something that would hurt themselves. And so it was one of my favorite things to do if I would see Brad standing at the bottom of the steps and his child standing at the top and him going, come on, let's go, come on. And I would just walk by and say, jump, daddy will catch you. You know, and that kid would get those eyes like this, right? And Brad would be going, no, 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 no. And they would jump, fly, right? And I'd just laugh. I thought it was great, right? Because a kid trusts you. They'll do it. Dad's going to catch me. Dad can do it. Dad's superhuman. He can make it happen. They trust. For a kid, nothing is beneath them. They don't know that, you know, it's a menial task you're asking them to do. They may not want to clean their room, but it's not because it's beneath them. It's just because they don't want to do it. Do you see how humility works in all of these things? And all of these things start to happen in the disciples' lives. And we see that played out over their lives. Later, they still don't get it here, but it starts to happen. They were going to have to walk away from everything they were chasing. And maybe that's a question for us this morning. Have you ever had to walk away from everything you were chasing to follow Jesus? For some, that's the call of God to go be a missionary. We often think sometimes incorrectly that maybe our missionaries just didn't have anything better to do, you know, or maybe they like to travel. No, I mean, I've never met a missionary that didn't walk away from something that they were probably good at to go chase the Lord in the service of the king. There's something that you find that is worth its weight in gold over here that this doesn't even compare to here. And so you leave that. And maybe for us as believers, it's time for for us to reorient ourselves again to the idea of humility and being just like children where we trust the Lord, we're oblivious to status, nothing is beneath us, that we're ready to follow him. And we have to do it and do it again and again. And I find, I don't know if your life is this way, I have to do it over and over again. It's not just once, it's over and over again. I've told you this before, but the most dangerous thing in the world that anyone could ever say to you, at least it is to me, is, you know, you really deserve this. And they say it well-meaning, but you know what you start to do, you go, I do deserve it. I've been thinking that and... Thank you for confirming it. It's a word from the Lord right here. I mean, right? We have to do it over and over again to come back and chase humility with the Lord. This week, as, as we were talking about this, and maybe you're asking this question, it's like, well, how would I even start with the Lord? How would it get there? Can, can I just tell you what I told our third and fourth graders this week? I loved this. Their theme verse uh, was from Ephesians. I thought that was awesome. And uh, the, the, the theme of VBS was, Uh, Created, designed, and empowered. Created, designed, and empowered. Think about that with me for the gospel for just a second because the Bible has something to say about the fact that God created us. He created you on purpose. That's worldview number one. If you don't understand that, you'll never understand the rest of the story. It starts with understanding that you were created by a God in heaven. You're not an accident. You're not a a happenstance that just uh, showed up on this earth. There are none of those. God created you on purpose. 
and he designed some things in you. He designed you to be in relationship with him. He designed you to be in fellowship with him. But we all have this problem, don't we? We have this thing called sin in our lives and we start off in relationship with God right here, but sin drives us away from the Lord. We move away from him. And that designed role that we were supposed to have, it's not working. It's not functioning the way that it should. And so what does God do? God over here looks at us over there and says, they're never gonna get back to us. They're, they're never gonna make it work. And I imagine he has a powwow with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ the Son and eternity past and says, when this happens, this is how we're going to do it. Here's the plan of redemption. And he sends Jesus. Knowing that we'll never make it back to him, he sends Jesus. And Jesus is what empowers us to have relationship with God the Father because Jesus come and dies on the cross for us. And when he dies on the cross for us, he takes our sin. And when he takes our sin, if we place our faith in him, the Bible says that he restores the relationship we have with God the Father because God doesn't see us anymore. He looks through the lens of Jesus Christ. When he sees you, he sees Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleansing you from all unrighteousness. But here's what it takes. It takes humility because it takes a lot of humility for us to stand over here and go, I believe there was a man named Jesus who was God's own son. He died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later. That's crazy talk. You ever met anybody that rose from the dead? I haven't. We've had this conversation in our house many times as we've talked about our end of life things that will eventually come. And you know, one day my wife told me that she wanted to be cremated. And I was like, well, I mean, if you die first, I guess it's kind of my choice. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I said, why, why would you want to be cremated? I mean, it just kind of surprised me. And she said, you know, because you read all those stories from years ago where people were buried alive. And I was like, but they embalm you and that means you're dead, you know? Like there's no chance of that, right? Is that, you know, remember Ring the Bell? Did you ever read those stories when you were growing up? It sounds crazy to be raised from the dead. But you have to humble your thinking. You have to humble yourself. You have to move away from what you're chasing and what you say is important to chase after what God says. And it's a glorious pursuit, as it's been called, to chase after the living Lord Jesus Christ and to be in fellowship with God the Father. And we can't do it on our own. If God doesn't empower us to do it, we cannot do it. We can't live the life that we're supposed to live. We, we can't be in fellowship with him. It takes us surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Again, there's that word. It's, it's surrender, it's humility over and over and over again in our lives for us to be in relationship with the Lord. And Jesus says that unless we become like children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying this to 12 men who have left everything to follow him. And he's telling them you're not there yet. You can be close to Jesus. You can have grown up in the church, gone to all the programs, quote it all, say it all, and not be there yet. But the good news is you can get there now. 
You can get there by humbling yourself in the sight of God and asking God to save you and declaring your dependence and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him, save me, and he will. And and Jesus keeps going here, and I want you to see this. Would you look at verse four? Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's that paradox again. You ever play the game where somebody might ask you, if you had one afternoon to spend with anyone in history, who would you spend it with? Who would it be? And you think about that and you tell what your answer is. But I bet most of us have never answered that question by saying, there's this kid, they are amazing. They're first in the kingdom of heaven. I want to spend my time with that kid. I want to be with this child, that boy, that girl, because they understand things. They're humble before the Lord. We don't think about it like that way. But Jesus is driving that home for us. That's how we achieve greatness in the kingdom. The disciples were thinking about an earthly kingdom. That's why uh, James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, let them sit at your right and your left hand. When you restore the messianic kingdom of Israel, when you get that started here, I want my boys to be prominent here on earth. And Jesus says, you're missing it. It's not what it's about. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that's what it's about. And then Jesus says in verse five, whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Children uh, during this time period weren't just supposed to be seen and not heard. Many of you grew up like that. You were told by your parents, children are to be seen and not heard. That's not how they were treated. Their parents could do whatever they wanted to with them. They could give them away. They could make them work as slaves. They could do whatever they wanted to. Children were just seen as like property for them. Can you imagine... Jesus grabbing a child, something that would have seemed insignificant to everybody and saying, you're missing it, it's right here. This is everything. It's the importance of children. And Jesus is saying to them, if you want to get there, you're gonna have to be like this. Well, if I read Matthew 18, five, and it says that we have to welcome children and welcome the childlike What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us as a church? It means something pretty incredible, I think, because there's this expectation for us that we should, in fact, be teaching and reaching and leading in the way of ministering to children. That there's something there. Because if we're trying to find those and we're we're trying to find those who are lost and, and bring them to salvation, then something like Vacation Bible School takes on an entirely different meaning for us, doesn't it? Because Jesus said this was important and welcoming people just like this is important. And I just wanna remind you of something. All week long, I've made promises to parents that I've talked to in follow-up and said that this was a church where they could send their children and their children were going to be taught the word of God, they were gonna be ministered to, they were gonna be blessed and that we would endeavor to do our best to come alongside those parents so that those parents could raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's an expectation that we have here. 
And that's an expectation as we, we did a, a baby dedication last week that I ask you about and I ask you about it again and again because as we've made these promises, we're saying that this is not gonna be a church that doesn't have anything for children because Jesus said they were important. Jesus said that it was so important. In fact, if we read over just a little bit in Matthew chapter 18, you see that the next little teaching that he gives is the parable of the lost sheep. You're familiar with it. A shepherd has 99, he recognizes one is lost. He leaves the 99 and goes and finds the lost. But what we often overlook is what that parable starts with. Can I just read it for us? See that you don't despise one of these little ones because I tell you in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99? Have you ever thought about the fact of leaving the 99 is, is about seeing people enter the kingdom of heaven and, and not just adults, not just teenagers, but children. We owe it to them. They're the starting point of all the ministry that we do here. Have you thought about that? There is no, think, think about this. Eventually there is no senior adult ministry if there are no children's ministry. There's no need for a youth ministry without a children's ministry. It begins and ends there. We, we don't really need an adult ministry. We could just have kind of some adult fellowships, right? If, if we didn't have children. So you understand that Jesus is placing this importance on that. And he's modeling this for the disciples saying, you have to become like them. And then you have to go and reach more of them. Because that's what I'm going to be sending you to do. Here, here's what I know. We cannot give away what we personally don't have. So we can't reach people if we don't have Christ. If we haven't become humble... If we haven't come to that place in our lives where we've received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and humbled ourselves before the living Lord to say, you are God and I am not and I will follow you, we can't give away what we don't have. So for us, the primary thing, it starts and ends there. It's the starting point for us. So as we think about this this morning, I wanna just maybe ask us a couple of questions. And one is a question for all of us. And one is a question for those of us who claim the name of Jesus. How about that? The first question is this, has there ever been a time in your life where you realized that you were created, designed and empowered by God to live in relationship with him? That you were a sinner who needed saving and that you humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ? confessed your sins and received the grace and forgiveness that is ours. It's a promise, it's ours. Promise to us from the scriptures that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It requires humility. It requires us to undo some of our thinking and say, I might not have it all figured out. And, and maybe you would say this morning, well, I'm, I might be a little bit like the disciples, pastor. I've been around it my whole life. But I don't know that I've ever given my life to Christ in humility. Maybe you've been chasing things, even as a believer right now, that, that are at odds with what God has for us. 
they don't match up. And if, if that's true, humility is the only thing that will bring you back to Christ to, to humble yourself before the Lord and confess those sins and say, Lord, this is not for me. I don't know why I'm chasing this. This isn't what you want for me. It's not best for me. And I want to be in relationship with you that is right. I was reading this morning from Psalm number 143 where David says, let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust you. Reveal to me the way I should go because I appeal to you. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. What a great prayer. What a prayer for us to humbly become, become before the Lord and say, I need you to lead me. If you've never done that, would you let today be the day of salvation? And for those of us who claim the name of Christ, the question I think is this, are you walking humbly before the Lord? It's easy to start that way. It's hard to finish that way. It's hard to finish that way because a little while on the journey, we start to feel like we've got it figured out. We start to feel like that we know the answers. We don't have to search the scriptures anymore. We don't have to ask the Lord for his guidance. We don't have to ask the Lord for his help. And nothing could be further from the truth. To walk humbly before the Lord is to love the things that he loves, justice and mercy and righteousness, to pursue him in those things. And ask God to continually form our hearts I think if we do that, it makes it easy to welcome a child. It makes it easy to go after the one who's lost. It makes it easy to pursue those things because all of a sudden we're not living in, in, in kind of paradox anymore. We're living right in tune with what God's after and God's after the lost. God wants those who are far from him to be close to him, to live the life that they were created and designed to live and he does that through the transmission of the gospel through us. We should be more potent than any virus on earth, right? People ought to, ought to brush shoulders with us and get a little Jesus on them. My dad told me that he was in line the other day at a Chick-fil-A in the drive-thru. Uh, they were traveling out of state and uh, said a young man took their order and they were just waiting for the cars to move forward. And this young man looked at him and said, sir, I wonder if anyone's ever told you that Jesus loved you and died for you. My dad said, well, in fact, many people have told me that. And about 60 years ago, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Just rubbing up against, walking humbly before the Lord. Let's go before the Lord today and ask him to make these things established in our lives. Let's ask him to turn our hearts in humility towards him. Let's ask him to form the heart of the unbeliever this morning in our service and to form our hearts to pursue the things that are important to him as believers. Would you close your eyes with me and bow and enter into a time of prayer? We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. And, and the reason that I want us to have a, a time of invitation 
really is because I have just sensed this week that there is a heightened spiritual awareness around our church. It would not be unusual for a great movement of the Lord to start with children. Think about how many promises of God started with children in the scripture. Think about how Christ the Messiah came as a child. Can I ask you this question this morning? No one's looking around, it's just you and I. Don't pay attention to anyone else, but I just wanna know, could you be honest enough this morning maybe to say in the room, I'm not sure if I'm saved, pastor. If that's you this morning, while no one is looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want you to do something about that this morning. I want you just to open your eyes and look at me and slip your hand up so that I see it. I'll acknowledge it. Anyone in the room this morning who just say, I'm not certain that I'm saved, pastor. Amen. Anyone else? I'm around it, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right. How about believers in the room this morning? Any of you like me struggling to have that heart formed to pursue the things of God? Amen. Maybe just slip your hand up. Amen. 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 Maybe we just ask the Lord this morning to do what David does. I love that David says, Lord, create a clean heart in me. Maybe for some of us, it's a clean mind. It's clean hands. Whatever it is, that we would look to the scripture and say, Lord, form that in our lives. Let us have your worldview. Father, this morning there are some who have indicated they're not certain that they've ever been saved. There are many more of us who have indicated this morning, Lord, that we need to walk afresh with you in humility. God, would you establish that in our lives this morning? Form our hearts, give us clean hands, clean hearts, clean minds. Lord, let us pursue what you want to pursue. Lord, start with our children and work all the way through. And I pray that you would help us to walk humbly before you today. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.